gospel portion that's pointed for the fifth Sunday of Easter is from the gospel according to John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Uh, In the real world, everyone stands within the presence of a king, no less so in the presence of Jesus, our king. Please stand as we hear the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. Now, if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you may, be, you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Okay. I'm going to introduce uh, Martin who is a, a friend, a long friend of Christchurch from the sunny land of Mississippi. And uh, he's actually also a Presbyterian pastor. And so you can see, look, Presbyterian, Anglican, and because of Jesus, we are friends. Yeah. Okay? It gets better and better. The kingdom of heaven, man, it's always good news. Brother, the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. It is good to be with you tonight and to come to the house of the Lord, amen? We, uh, we worship the living God, and we rejoice every day, and certainly every Sunday, uh, but in a special way during this Easter season, the good news of the resurrection with which we open the service uh, tonight. It touches me particularly to be able to be with you. I'm blessed to be with you. Uh, we, uh, this is Nancy, my wife and I, uh, this is our first time 
worshiping at Christ Church. So we're, we're blessed to be with you. And I'm honored to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you tonight in proclamation. It, the timing is such that a member of my home congregation just went home to the church triumphant a few days ago. And back home, in a few hours, there will be a worship service celebrating the good news of the resurrection um, and remembering Paula Ivy, a dear sister in the faith and fellow member of the choir with my wife. And so she is, we rejoice that we know to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord uh, according to God's word, as the Apostle Paul proclaims. But because of that timing, and because the lectionary gospel reading for this season that this church uses is John 14, the opening verses, it struck me as particularly powerful when I was invited to preach um, as I began to look to this passage and then when I got the news that Paula had gone home to the Lord, that this was a particularly God-given timing. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 14, the opening segment that, we, that Aaron just read. And we'll also look at some other passages of Scripture. For application, we're going to go back to that Psalm 31, particularly verse 5, and then to a few notes and applications of the story of the first martyr of the Christian church uh, right outside of Jerusalem, right near where we are. It happened, uh, Stephen. So, when we come to John 14, we are in the midst of an ongoing story. You need to remember that this is in the final evening before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is teaching and equipping his core group of disciples, preparing them for his imminent death and atoning death on the cross, and also seeking to prepare them for their failures and likely slide into being greatly troubled in heart. You ever get troubled in heart? Has anyone in here also ever been subject to deceit coming from you or perhaps deceit coming from someone else? Yes? Well, all these things kind of come together with this passage of Scripture. Let me remind you, in the Gospel of John, you know, we've moved in this, in, you know, we've moved from uh, the book of signs to the book of glory. There are seven I am statements that Jesus gives us related to metaphors. Now, he also makes a couple of other I am statements, and uh, particularly because we're at Christ Church, let's all remember that who says I am in the Bible? Yeah, Jesus and God. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. When Moses encounters uh, the angel of the Lord at the burning bush at Mount Sinai, you remember this? Moses wants to know his name. He says, tell me your name. And the Lord responds, I am who I am. Well, Jesus talks in those same terms. And by the way, even when he's arrested, you may remember this, John's gospel tells us that Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they all fall down. But then he surrenders to them because he's willing to go to be the Lamb of God. Okay? But in the seven metaphors, we are at the penultimate one. Okay? The fifth one is, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? 
that closes out, basically, you know, that brings us to the grand conclusion of the book of signs. Jesus then does what? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Then we move on to the sixth I am statement, which we just read tonight. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The final one is I am the vine. You are the branches. This is in John 15 now. The next, the next chapter is you mark out chapters. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You'll be polycarpus. You'll have a whole lot of fruit. But if you don't abide in me, then you're dead. Okay, you become dead, right? There is no fruit. You cannot do anything of lasting eternal value unless you live in me. So, so all of these circles are back around to the reality that we are called to live in Jesus, and Jesus is telling us that he is God himself. Life apart from God is death, and ultimately hell. Life with God, abiding in God, is forever in the house of God, belonging to the house of the Father. Um, in, in John's Gospel, when Jesus begins calling his disciples, he goes to one of the disciples who's named Nathaniel. Remember the connection, Philip and Nathaniel? And when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, here is a true Israelite. And what does he say about that? Jesus says, in him there is no deceit. Okay? No deceit. Opposite of truth, right? We'll keep coming back to this. When we opened in worship tonight, we, we, we read a little bit of portion from, in, in the call to worship segment, in the liturgy, from Psalm 24. Psalm 24. And the Psalms, I think, really relate to what's happening here. And Jesus is calling upon these Psalms, particularly the Psalms of David in book one of the Psalms. These are all helping us understand what happens as Jesus goes to die for us and as Jesus, the risen Lord, calls us into living communion with him. So in Psalm 24, we just read this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? By extension, who will be in the Father's house, right? Okay. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. You hear that? False, true. Jesus tells us in his ministry that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and all who live in deceit and lying are children of Satan. But we're called in Christ by the grace of God to be children of the truth. So all of this is circling back around. By the way, you may remember this also, when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate in one of the exchanges with Pontius Pilate, Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not the kind of king you're thinking about of this world. You know, Aaron was just talking about the, the powers of this world. He says, um, 
those who belong to my kingdom seek the truth. And Pilate, classic, modern guy 2,000 years ago, says, what is truth? And Pilate is thinking the way most Westerners think, maybe most modern people think and postmodern people think. It's all conceptual. Truth, your idea, my idea. But in the Bible, in God's word, truth is a person. Truth is a living power that transforms my character and yours to be alive again in he who is true. So Jesus is calling us, and in the Gospel of John keeps bringing this reality from, from Nathaniel and the call of Nathaniel all the way through this Pilate and all the way through Jesus's, you know, going to the cross and then his resurrection into this reality. Now, we are called, you and I are called to trust and to let our heart not be troubled. That's a command from Jesus. And the way Aaron just read it is the way the Greek actually reads. Um, it's called a collective singular grammatically. In the, in the actual Greek text, Jesus says to the group, let not your heart, okay, all the translators want to say hearts to make it simpler for us, but it's actually heart because we're called to have one heart. Remember Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and told them they need to love one another in the same way he loves us. He calls us to a unity, to be the church together, to be brothers and sisters together. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. And, and we know that in the scripture, if one is troubled, if one is in pain, we're all supposed to be in pain. If one rejoices, we all rejoice, right? So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And this is a command. Now, the way I read the Greek, the next two, the pastuate uh, that come next, both of those are actually commands also. It's not just a statement or a conditional statement about you believe in God, well, then you also need to believe in me. He calls us to trust in God and to trust in himself. So three commands here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We're not to live in that land of trouble. Instead, we are to, if we're going to move towards truth, and abiding with Jesus and living from Jesus, we're going to move and our hearts are going to be transformed from hearts that are troubled to hearts that are alive in trust. Trust is a huge message all through the Bible and definitely all through the Hebrew Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses Five through eight, right after, uh, right before actually telling us in verse nine, you read this in verse nine, that the heart, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It, it, it's the heart. The modern times tell us to trust our heart and follow our heart. Whatever you feel right about, do it. But of course, that's just back to what was going on in Judges. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes, right? Whatever your heart tells. So the scripture tells us that the heart is a deceiver. Our own hearts deceive us. And remember, we want to live in the truth. Okay? So, a curse and a beatitude, just like in Torah, but this is over in Jeremiah in the prophet. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man, and this means like an individual man, a giver, okay, who trusts 
in man. And, and there it's Adam. And that means like humanity, or you could take it all the way back to the original man, Adam, okay? Um, and makes flesh, in other words, human flesh, his strength. If you trust in princes, if you trust in powers, if you trust in the latest, greatest thoughts of human beings, you're in trouble. Um, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Have any of you been to the Dead Sea yet? Do things grow really well all around the Dead Sea? Now, would you have beautiful fruit trees just blooming there if you don't irrigate them? What do you think? So this is a really graphic picture here, okay? This is like a graphic picture of the desert area heading over, the midbar heading over, you know, to Dead Sea. But, but listen to this, listen to the beatitude. Blessed is the man who trusts, batach, in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes because its leaves remain green. It is not anxious. In other words, it doesn't have a troubled heart. Okay? It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Wow. A heart, a person, a people who trust in God will be fruitful, will live. The world is full of deceit. Satan is superb at deceit, slightly off. Not grossly off, slightly off. That's very, that, a con is where you're taken, but you really never know it, right? The devil is really good at that. So God calls us to this kind of trust. Now, think about Jesus. Um, Psalm 22, a prophecy of the cross, right? A Psalm of David, all these Psalms of David in book one. And, and how does that talk? How, what's the word? What's the language here? Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers, trusted. Do you hear that? And you deliver them. But what about the one who's forsaken? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Well, let's keep going. All those who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Do you hear all that bataka going on there, all that trusting? And Jesus this is a prophecy of Jesus being challenged, just like David's being challenged about trusting in the Lord when everything seems to be falling out from under him. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. This psalm goes on to tell an amazing story about one who is totally ripped apart. They, they, they cast lots to divide, uh, they, to divide his clothing, right? He's totally forsaken, yet at the end of the psalm, he's triumphant. The one who trusts in the Lord going through the valley of the shadow of death, which of course brings us to the next psalm, right? Psalm 23. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Do I want to go through the valley of the shadow of death? No, I want God to zap me out of that, right? But God doesn't zap me out of it. He goes through it with me. And how does he ultimately do that? When he comes in Jesus and goes to the cross bearing my and your sin. Which then gets us back, that's Psalm 23. Psalm 24, well, who's going to actually be in the Father's house? The one of truth. And you know who I know is the one of truth? The King of glory, right? That Psalm 24 is talking about, who is Jesus, right? So, we trust in him. We... um, I spoke this morning about trusting coming over to Israel in the Mizrah HaBitakon, which is the ministry of defense. That Bitakon is that same language of trust and security, right? In the Hebrew, it's, it's the term that's used currently for the ministry of defense in Israel. And we do trust in them, but the trust in Jesus is far deeper, right? It's an eternal trust. So back to our story. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. But then he tells them they're all going to fail him. And he tells them he's going to leave them. And they're sitting there thinking, we, we've, we've banked the last several years of our life on you, Jesus. And we thought, you know, the king of glory thing, Psalm 24, we thought we were all going to get a march in in the great triumph. <laughs> and and, and you, you are telling us that none of that is going to happen right now and that you're going to leave us and where you're going, we cannot go with you. And Simon Peter is all upset and he says, Lord, look, even if these other ones abandon you, I'll go to the death for you. I'm the man. I've got, I'm your right-hand guy. And Jesus says... To Simon, amen, amen, truly, truly. You know the way Jesus always tells the truth? It's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? Because to be with Jesus is to be in the truth, right? To be in the light. Well, anyway, (laughs) I tell you the truth. You know what, amen, amen, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And surely all the other disciples are saying, well, Simon is the boldest and the most courageous of all of us. And if Simon's going to flail out, we all will. And Jesus says he's leaving us. And Jesus is telling them it's a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse than you're experiencing right now just thinking about this. You're going to be shattered by what happens in the next 12 hours. You're going to be shattered. But I give you a command, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You think about your worst challenges and your possibly imagined worst fears. And Jesus is speaking to those right now and speaking to you and to your heart and to my heart right now. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Jesus says, your heart is not to be given over to trouble, but to trust in who I am. Jesus says, 
I am, there's a plan. There's a wonderful divine plan. I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. In my Father's house are many rooms. I have plans for you, okay? You're going to be part of the household of God forever. And we know that Jesus says in heaven, if we've been faithful a little bit here, right, there's going to be a lot to do. We're not going to be floating on clouds. You all know this, right? (laughs) We're not just floating on clouds. He is engaging us. And Jesus is telling us, I'm not an add-on to God. I am God himself. I am the very revelation of God. When you see me, when you are with me, you see the fullness of who the Father is. There's no extra that has not been revealed to you. You you see the Father, you see me. Trust in God, trust also in me. All this call of the scriptures to trust in God all the way through, you trust in me, you are trusting in God. But to trust in God means to trust the Son of God who is going to die on the cross and is going to be maligned not only in those days, but in your day and my day too, by many, ignored, diminished. But he calls us to the glory and the grace of trusting him. That's a powerful call. So Jesus calls us to know him as who he is. Um, who, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one in whom we can trust. Let me give you um, a couple other passages here. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. We, we sing that sometimes, don't we? That's Isaiah 12, verse 2. So Jesus says, that's who you, in whom you trust. I, I'm God. I'm the Lord God. I will trust and not be afraid. Well, who is he? Jesus says, I am I've already told you that means he's saying he's God. And then he goes on, Jesus does, and he specifically says, I am the way. I'm the way. The the Hebrew term, derach, you know, that runs all the way through um, the Old Testament is something that Jesus also says when he calls us to discipleship. We are to follow him in the way. He's the way. Jesus says, look, the gate is huge, and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many, many who, who, who go that way. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but small is the gate, and hard is the way that leads to life. And only if you find it. Now he tells us the answer to this way, and it's Jesus himself. I am the way. He's circling us back around to that. He is the way of salvation. See, here's the thing. When he tells us to trust in him, 
he's calling us to trust not in ourselves and in how powerfully we think we believe in him. He's asking us and inviting us to look to him. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said, we don't have to have, and God forbid we think we're going to have, a great faith in God. What we need is to have faith in the great God. We're not the great believers, but he's the great God. Do you hear the difference? See, Simon Peter's going to fail him. All the other disciples are going to fail him. But our trust is not in Simon Peter or in Martin or in Judy or whomever, right? It's not in us. It's in him. He is the way. We don't kind of meet him halfway, okay? <laughs> He's the whole way. He's the entire way. And you know what? Back when in the Nathaniel story, Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you when you were praying under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, you know, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, you're, you're impressed by this? I tell you the truth, you will see far greater things than this. You will see heaven opened and the angels descending and ascending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus just said is what was prophesied back and shown in the vision of Jacob at Bethel. Jesus is it. You want to know the way to the house of God? It's me. The Tower of Babel, classic human trust in the strength of humanity, total failure. You want to know what's going on? with that vision of the house of God that Jacob has, it's me. I'm it. I am the way, right? And I am the truth. I am the truth. Psalm 31, verse 5. One of the names of God is given. We usually don't get it in the translation, but it's there at the end of verse 5. L. Amet, God, truth. God is truth. It's usually translated, I think in the NIV, it's God is, is faithful. It's a name of God. So back in Psalm 31, verse 5, God is telling you that he is the truth. And Jesus right here is saying, I am the truth. Is there a conflict? No. Jesus is the full revelation of God come to us. And he is, he is the way to the Father's house. He's the way heaven is opened up. He's the way the angels ascend and descend, okay? That's what he's just told us. It's incredible what he's saying here. And again, truth is not a concept. It's not something that we kind of debate about. Truth is life in Jesus. And Jesus is the truth. Every question in every challenge you and I face, we should say, does this accord with Jesus? Because that's our measure. He is our measure of truth because he himself is truth. And then also, oh, well, let me tell you one other thing about truth. Truth is kind of interesting. And that, that you know, that 
term that God uses for himself, emet. First letter, middle letter, last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Since we're in Christ church, it's probably, probably good to just kind of get our bearings here. If you take out, if you take out the first letter and you just have the middle and the last, what is that? Death. Death. Mut, right? You have to have all three. Um, in the Proverbs, the Proverbs say in um, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, right? Let me get there. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to truth, death. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't go to what seems straight and right, yashar, to you. That's, that's a term there. Don't, don't, you know, everybody has their own idea of what's right. Don't go with that. Don't, don't be the Proverbs fourteen twelve person who takes the way that leads to death because you think you're, the way you see it is right. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know the Lord, and he will make your paths, yashar, straight and right. So Jesus says, live in me. I am the way and the truth. And then we come to, in in the Greek, it's zoe, life. In Hebrew, it's what? Chaim. Right? Jesus is the Chaim. He is the life. And we don't just toast to him. (laughs) We're called to live and trust fully in him. He's the resurrection and the life, and he is the life that leads us home to the Father. Now, let's apply some of this as we move towards closing. You know, sometimes when we read that, don't let your hearts be troubled, we can just think about, like, well, that has to do with external troubles or things that are bothering me. What about my enemies? And what about people who persecute me? And in fact, if I become hostile towards them, am I living up anywhere close to what Jesus calls me to do? No. I'm going to fall into deception really fast. Jesus calls me, calls you, to love our enemies and pray for those persecute us and to say in every situation we're in even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death Lord into your hands I commit my spirit well this then brings us over in application to this incredible recounting in the gospels flow from Luke to Acts that Luke gives us 
of the first martyrdom of a Christian. Stephen, one of the seven, an incredible evangelist. You know, Philip, um, Stephen, great evangelist from the seven. And this looks like the future of the church. They're great outreach leaders. They're wonderful. And we get to Acts chapter 7. And lo and behold, Stephen's testimony and prophecy to the Sanhedrin leaders is being rejected. So what happens? They take him outside the city of Jerusalem to kill him. Who else was taken outside the city to be killed? Jesus, the one in whom Stephen lives and in whom Stephen trusts in the time of greatest trouble. So, um, they're stoning Stephen to death, and verse 59 says this, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. The way the NIV translates it is, receive my spirit. Now notice this, Stephen is quoting from Psalm 31, verse 5. And one of the prayers that Jesus prayed on the cross that Luke gives us is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But now the heavens are open. Stephen can see Jesus at the right hand of the Father because he is the one who makes the way to the house, right? And so Stephen prays to whom? Stephen prays to Jesus, just like Jesus has told us. In, in John 14, he says, ask me whatever you would in my name. Ask me, and I'll give it to you. So Stephen is doing exactly what Jesus calls and commands us to do in John chapter 14. Ask me whatever you would in my name and I'll give it to you. So Stephen calls out to Jesus, prays to Jesus and says, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen doesn't say, Lord Jesus, get me out of this. Bring down a legion of angels. Because Stephen seems to know that this is appointed for him. And so he's going to go to his death as the first martyr. But then what does Stephen do? Does he bring down some final curses in the name of Jesus on his enemies? Jesus, I'm going to ask for it in your name. Curse and condemn these people who are killing me, these Jewish zealots from the Sanhedrin who are stoning me to death. No. Because, see, this is what Jesus means by ask in my name. It's not a magic formula. If I want a new house and a new BMW, and I just say, in Jesus' name, amen, Jesus is going to give it to me, and I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, you said back in John 14, I get whatever I... No, no, no. To ask in Jesus' name means to ask truly alive in him who is the way, the truth, and the life, right? It means to ask in accord with who Jesus is and with his mission. And so, Stephen, in the name of Jesus prays to Jesus and says this to, Lord, 
do not hold this sin against them, reminding us totally about a few weeks earlier, or sometime earlier, when Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does it mean to live as a Christian, to live in Jesus? It means to live in the way and the truth and the life. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means to pray in the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. And what does that mean? That means my heart is changed. My life, my soul is changed and transformed by the work of his spirit bringing me alive in who he is. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And oh yeah, one other thing in this story of Stephen. It's pretty devastating, right? This great leader being martyred when we were just hoping things would calm down and we could spread the Christian gospel. But even in that dark day, who else is mentioned for the first time in the New Testament while Stephen is being martyred? Somebody's holding some cloaks. Somebody named Saul. First time he's mentioned. Who is Saul? He's the great persecutor of the church. But who is he going to be? The apostle to the Gentiles. Right here, in the darkest hour of the early church, the martyrdom of Stephen, the light shines and God moves on with a new plan. Saul, Paul, can deceit and persecution and opposition kill the message of Christ? No. Could death hold Jesus? No. Could our sin defeat Jesus? No. Because he triumphs and he is calling you and he's calling me to have hearts alive in him. It's resurrection season. Do you believe Jesus is risen? Do you believe he triumphs over the worst of our troubles? Will you trust in him and believe and live and pray in the way and the truth and the life of Jesus in his name? Yes. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we come before you. What a joy it is to rejoice in who your son is, the true king of glory, the way, the truth, and the life. Let us trust in and be renewed this evening and this week in the gospel of your risen son, Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, just as Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, may we be full of the Holy Spirit as we speak and act and live in the name of Jesus and for you this week. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, 
or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.